Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, a podcast all about leadership, change, and personal growth. The goal? To help you lead like never before in your church or in your business. And now, your host, Carrie Newhoff. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 437 of the podcast. I hope this episode helps you thrive in life and leadership. Carrie here. And uh, so excited to have a guest that uh, you may not have heard of, but when I first heard her, I'm like, I got to get her on the podcast. I think you're going to be really glad you tuned in. Her name is Jennifer Kalari, and we are going to talk about how to deal with irrational people, de-escalate conflict, and so much more. Uh, This episode is brought to you by Remodel Health. You can head on over to remodelhealth.com slash analysis today to get your health benefits analysis and use the code CARRY50, forget this, 50% off. And by Generis, connect with Generis for a free discovery call to understand what lids on generosity may be hindering your church's ministry impact and the culture of generosity by going to generis.com slash carry. Well, Jennifer Kalari is a sought-after therapist, podcaster, author, and consultant who specializes in how to deal with conflict in a way that not only de-escalates tension, by the way, this works at home and it works at work, um, but she also helps you transform them. In other words, to move from a really bad situation you get out of into a place where you can actually work together and get along, restoring relationships. She uses the calm technique, which she pioneered, And that will give you a serious advantage at home and at work. So think about your entire life as you listen to this episode. Jennifer is one of the nation's leading parenting experts. She is a highly sought-after international speaker and the founder of Connected Parenting. Her practice, she's a psychologist, is based in San Diego and Toronto. She's the author of Connected Parenting and hosts the Connected Parenting Weekly Podcast. And she is also the co-host of the Mental Health Comedy Podcast. What I loved about Jennifer, I first heard her actually on my wife's podcast, the Smart Family Podcast she does with Dr. Rob Meter. And uh, I like Jennifer so much, I looked her up and said, hey, hey, you want to come on this? I think you can help a lot of leaders. And that's what she's doing. Hey, thanks to our partners who uh, I know you're probably thinking about, okay, how do I care for team members? If you haven't noticed... There's a lot of turnover these days, and uh, you've got to care for your team. Well, blind decisions when it comes to healthcare make you lose money. Sadly, as organizational leaders, often we fall into making blind decisions on a regular basis, especially when it comes to employee health benefits. New research shows that more often employers overspend on health benefits and underprovide for employees without even realizing it. That's exactly why Remodel Health designed their exclusive health benefits analysis tool. It provides total visibility on what matters most to employees and then compares that against newer, better, cheaper plans so you're actually giving employees what they want. Plus, these analyses have literally saved our customer millions of dollars to date. Remodel Health has helped our podcast listeners on this show alone save $2.1 million. So, Interested? Head on over to remodelhealth.com slash analysis today to get your health benefits analysis and use the code CARRY50 for 50% off. And while we're on the subject of money, I sat down recently with Jim Shepard, who's the principal over at Generis, and they help churches really develop a culture of generosity. And I asked him, people are talking about donor fatigue. A lot of churches seeing their donations down. What do you do with donor fatigue? Here's what Jim Shepard had to say. 
Well, you know, being a financial guy by training and background, this one may surprise you. I think one of the biggest lids in churches is budgets, is that we are somehow thinking about some level of incremental ministry that we can do next year, 7%, 11%, 2%, 5% over what we did this year, when it would seem to me that God has probably a much bigger idea for what your church could accomplish that year, that accomplish next year. And the chances are really good that you actually have the resources to do that. If you could just cast the vision big enough and encourage and, and inspire your people to do that. So budgets, I think, really are one of the most obvious lids that I see out there. And that probably surprises some people. Lids on generosity often become the barrier between the vision for your church and actually being able to fund that vision. So you can connect with Generis for a free discovery call to understand what lids on generosity may be hindering your church's ministry and, uh, well, you can get moving today on that by going to Generis.com, that's G-E-N-E-R-I-S, Genesis with an R, slash carry. So that's Generis.com slash carry, C-A-R-E-Y, and uh, would encourage you to do that. We want to thank our partners, man. We only share organizations that we trust and we believe in, and so we're trying to help you with the resources you have, and of course, they bring this to you absolutely free, thanks to their generosity. So very excited for what's ahead. I've also got an Ask Me Anything About Productivity session coming up at the end, and I'm going to coach Kyla on how to onboard team members efficiently. That's a challenge, right? When you're hiring, how do you do that effectively and efficiently? Got some ideas for that, and uh, we'll come back to that in a moment. But in the meantime, let's jump into a fascinating conversation with Jennifer Kalari. Jennifer, welcome to the podcast. It's so good to have you. Thank you. I'm really excited to be here. Looking forward to this conversation. Well, I heard you on my wife's podcast, the one she does with Dr. Rob Meter, our longtime friend, and uh, Smart Family Podcast. I was kind of mesmerized. What you were sharing made me wish that our kids are in their 20s. I wish I was like 30 again and I had my kids back and that I could apply some of the techniques that you talked about. But I also learned that a lot of what you do is you coach leaders on sort of how to treat, because everybody's, you know, top problem is people problems. So we're going to talk about people problems today. Uh, What are the similarities, let's start here, between great parenting techniques and great leadership techniques? Well, I guess the most obvious one is that when you're a parent, you're a leader, right? So, Mm -hmm. so you're, and and what's interesting as parents is you're not actually a parent. (laughs) You're actually a substitute frontal lobe, right? So your job is to organize, (laughs) motivate, um, you know, switch, take perspective, inhibit all of those important things. So to do that in a way, while well, helping the person feel psychologically safe, loved, cared about, intact, and well integrated, is a pretty important skill. And so that is certainly something that applies across the board. Hmm. What are the typical leadership problems? You do a lot of work with companies. Mm-hmm. You walk into a company. I'll give you the top three to five things that CEOs, leaders call you about all the time. It's like, mm-hmm. I can't solve this. Help me out, Jennifer. What what would that list be, your frequent um, flyers? Top of the list would be like relationship stuff, just reacting to each other, emotional issues, um, you know, having a, an opinion and a feeling about something and not being able to adequately uh, communicate it and resolve it. So that's probably one of the big ones. Um you know, people are messy. We're messy. You know, there's always layers, right? There's childhood stuff. There's what are called implicit and explicit memories. So what happens is prior to the age of seven, the hardware laid down in the brain um, for long-term memory isn't there yet. 
So everything that happens to us prior to the age of seven is experienced and logged and located in the limbic brain, the part of the brain that reacts, freaks out. So we're all kind of walking around, no matter how successful we are, no matter how intelligent we are, we're walking around with programming, the programming of a seven-year-old, basically. (laughs) That explains my life. Thank you. (laughs) It makes it very difficult because we end up reacting a lot more than we think we do versus Hmm. responding. And then it's all incredibly layered. So every person comes into every single interaction with a different experience. And that's, that's called sub- intersubjective. That's why you can work with one person and be like, I love that guy or I love that. She's amazing. And have such a good, you know, there's good synchronicity. There's good integration. You're feeling great. Somebody else, it feels like there's a conflict. And that's because we're, it's intersubjective. We experience reality together, right? Mm-hmm. Versus there being an actual reality. Okay, you impact, unpack so much in, in that like one minute answer. I gotta, I gotta drill down on that. I think, you know, the one thing that pops into my mind is we kind of forget as leaders that we're hiring human beings. You know, we're not hiring a skill set. And these are people with pasts and some of them are easier pasts than other. And uh, okay, tell me, say more about like before seven years old, we don't have any long-term what? Like just yeah. explain that again. So Sorry, I neural- didn't go to, I'm not a doctor. Okay. So the neurological hardware in your brain, and basically everything about us is programmed, right? And we cut some mm. of it's genetically programmed. Sometimes it's, it's, it's experience. It's put in there from our parents. We're just a product of programming basically. Now the good news is you can reprogram. You don't have to live with these mm. programs necessarily. You can change them, which is, which is one of the really exciting things. So prior to the age of about seven, anything that happens to us, the neurological hardware isn't there. So for most of us, we have very few fragmented memories of being like, can you remember being three or four? Oh yeah, I do. Actually. Do you have like a, and, and what, can you, do you remember what your first memory is of being like three yeah, or four? Or even probably two? my first memory, it was actually a frightening memory. Uh, we lived on a farm and there were two houses on the farm, the house where me and my parents lived. And then my grandparents, which was like, I don't know, 200 feet away or something. And it was safe. It was from the road. So I was walking from the farmhouse where we lived to my grandparents' house. And we had a dog behind a cage. So this is a good case study for you. You can psychoanalyze me right here. Um, And the dog started barking at me. And um, I remember being terrified. And to this day, I have an adverse reaction to dogs. I'm not a pet person. And I trace it back to that. It's irrational. Yeah. It's, okay. Well, so it's, that's my yeah. earliest, earliest childhood memory. Okay. Well, thank you for sharing that. Cause that's, <laughs> that's a perfect one because that's an example of why that got remembered, right? There's, mm. there's no way that would have been remembered in your prefrontal cortex. The part of your brain that is, is rational. That was a threat that would, how, how old yep. did you say you were? I was probably, we moved from the farm when I was three. So I was probably two or three. So little tiny guy right? Walking somewhere. And then the scary, terrifying event happened, which the brain, the limbic system is responsible for the security system of the brain. And it doesn't care Mm. why things are happening. It just errs on the side of caution and decides that it's a threat, right? And you're in a, you're in a moment where it's fight, flight, or freeze. And that takes over. So that experience got logged. It's sort of like, think of it as an emotional tattoo. It got tattooed into your brain. That's kind of what happened. And so now it generalizes. So they generalize to cages, dogs, farms, like who knows? It's, it's our brain, 
our anxiety loves us dearly. It really does. And it's just trying <laughs> to do the best job possible and keep us safe. And so what it does is it just casts a little bit of a wider net. Well, if that was scary and that's a little bit like that, I better be scared of this too, essentially. And so your brain remembered that and it's doing the best job that it can to keep you safe. So you never um, are exposed to a situation like that again, which it's now generalized to pets, right? Isn't so that interesting? Yeah. Yeah. So that's yeah, we're not a pet family. My kids were devastated. I also have asthma. So, I mean, there's that, but there's that. that's um, important. So yeah, yeah, there's that. <laughs> so that that would have been a deal breaker. And actually, they now have dogs and like I like their dogs and they're theoretically hypoallergenic and I can I can deal with their dogs, but it's really interesting. So let me never talked about this with anybody. Uh my family thinks it's ridiculous, but like when we would go to visit good friends, I cannot remember people's dogs' pets' names. Like mm-hmm. I don't remember. So we'd go in to see friends we see all the time and I'm like, "Hello, dog." Like it's, that's basically it. I knew, and I can remember a thousand people's names, but like it almost went to that level where I just categorically forget pet names. Yeah. Well, and here's the thing. Every time we have a memory like this and we avoid something, the limbic brain goes, damn, I'm good. I did a really good job. He's still alive because he doesn't like dogs. He's still alive because he doesn't remember the name of dogs. And it just thinks it's doing a fantastic job. Now, it's, what's so interesting that if this is a dog conversation Because when I work with kids or I work with adults around um, trauma, which that was, even though you were only two or three, you you didn't get attacked, but it it was a traumatic memory and your brain stored it as such, right? Hmm. So when I talk to people about anxiety, I give them the example that their anxiety is actually like a dog. It's like a big, goofy guard dog that thinks, okay, you've hired me to do a job. I'm going to be so good. You are never going to regret hiring me. I'm going to be the best guard dog ever. And at first, the dog just looks at scary people outside and barks. And then the people keep walking. And then the dog looks at you and goes, that worked. Wow, my person's <laughs> still here. I'm good. So you know what? I'm going to bark at everyone outside just to be just to be safe. And then, oh, he's still here. I'm doing a great job. Now the dog goes, oh, you know what? I'm going to bark at everyone near my person. You know what? Forget that. I'm just going to sit on my person's chest and, and lick his whole face, and he will be so safe. And yes, I guess you'd be safe, but you'd have an 85-pound dog on your chest that won't let you do anything, right? So anxiety is this amazing self-preservatory emotion that gets a very bad rap because people are always saying, oh, anxiety is bad. You got to get rid of it. No, you need anxiety. If you don't have anxiety, you're going to walk across the street without looking. You're going to you know, get, have arguments with people. So it's about learning to respect the anxiety as self-preservatory, know that it's there, but you want to train the dog. We don't want to get rid of the dog. You might, but mm. most people don't want to get rid of the dog. They just want the dog to lie in their dog bed, fully trained and only coming out when it's absolutely necessary. So back to our original conversation, traumatic things are usually either very exciting things or traumatic things are what are stored in the brain prior to the age of seven. After seven, eight, nine, you can usually have even more memories that are just kind of incidental contextual memories. But prior to that, think of them as like an emotional tattoo. And they they run, that program runs and interferes in our adult daily life without a, even realizing it. And your dog example is perfect. And these are the people we hire. These are the people we work with. These are the people we lead. And we all think of ourselves as rational people who make rational decisions. Is some of what you're talking about before the age of seven, my wife's work, Tony, who you've met, is working through the book, The Body Keeps the Score, which is like a yes. massive book. But is is, is it yep. sort of related to that? Can you explain yes. that a little bit? Like how your body very, remembers very what your so. brain forgets? Yeah, absolutely. So, so any kind of upsets, trauma, 
um, important information gets stored in the body, right? It gets literally physically stored in your body. Trauma is a really good example. And that's why as an adult, rational person, you can still not like pets or still not remember the name of pets or still not want a pet, right? There's a part of you going, that's ridiculous. I don't know why I have that, but your body remembers, right? That's really mm. important. So knowing that it's a program and it's a program that you can challenge, it's a program that you can change. The brain is neuroplastic. You can actually rewrite programs. You, you're the, um, you're the coder. You can change the program in your brain. You just have to know that it's there. And so as people come to us and they're in, and they're, we all have this, there's, you won't find a person that doesn't have this. This is, this is all of us, right? This is how the brain actually works. They are bringing to the room, to the office, to the meeting room, to the boardroom, successes, failures, childhood stuff, whether they were bullied, whether they're the bully, um, how they were parented, all that stuff is in the, is in the boardroom or in the meeting room with you. And that's why it gets messy, right? That's the complicated part. Um, and mm. so creating emotional safety, knowing that things are messy, knowing that we're all running on different programs that we just basically have to integrate and sync up. That's when really good moments happen. That's when change happens. That's when relationships happen. And that's when growth happens as a company, but also as an individual. Wow. Okay, so that's good to know. We just interviewed uh, Amy Edmondson as well. The uh, She spent her life working on psychological safety, right? Creating a yeah. psychologically safe yep. workplace. But you mentioned emotional safety. Mm -hmm. So, you know, CEO calls you, says, I cannot get along with my VP. Senior pastor says, like, my board and I, we're like cats and dogs. Like, you know, pets notwithstanding. We're just... Not in a good place or just, you know, I keep firing people or I just can't get along with whatever. Like, how do you even as a leader, because you're not a counselor, like you have, you know, degrees in counseling. I went to seminary. I went to law school. You know, I went to business school. I, I, I went to seminary. Like, I, I, I'm not prepared for this. How do you even begin to advise leaders on how to deal with the emotional complexity that is your team? Yeah, that's a really good question. And there's like layers to the answer of that question. Mm. So we got time. One thing, one thing, and this is, you know, this is a really important part for all of us, whether you're the CEO and it's your company or you're the delivery guy, you're mm. when you are in a position of being a victim, you are powerless. When you're in a position of being a student and a learner, now you have power. And now you're a really good example to other people, right? You don't have to have the answers. Nobody does. You're going to figure it out together. And so what you want to be able to constantly be doing is tuning in to your own integrity. So I'm sure you know about brain-heart coherence. Does that sound familiar? No, I don't. So go ahead, fill so me in. The, the heart, this is going to be a juicy interview. So the heart actually has neurons in it. It actually has brain cells. It's a brain. What? Okay, I did not yeah. know this. There are 40,000 brain cells, neurons, in your heart and your brain and actually your gut. Now that changes the conversation with gut feelings, right? And so what happens is the heart can inform the head. So you said something interesting a minute ago. You said we all think of ourselves as rational people, particularly if you're a leader. Mm. None of us are rational people. <laughs> humans are not rational. Everything right. gets filtered through the limbic system first and then goes to the prefrontal cortex. So just for listeners, just to kind of do a little quick moment on the brain, the limbic brain is the part of the brain that is this, that's the security system of the brain. Is this safe or not? Am I in danger or not? Do I need to fight? Do I need to run? Do I need to freeze? Do I need to fight back? What do I need to do? That is not a conscious decision. That is not a, um, that is not a thought-based decision. That is an adrenaline-based time-sensitive reaction. 
I'm going to fight back. I'm going to argue. I'm going to run. That bookshelf is going to fall on me. I better get out of the way. That's, mm-hmm. that's what that part of the brain is set up for. And thousands of years ago, when we lived out in the open and there were animals attacking us and we, you know, were, it was a very different world, that was a very important part of our survival and we wouldn't be here if we didn't have it. But that is going off all the time now and we don't need it. We aren't in fight or flight danger most of the time, but our limbic system does not know that. So the minute you clench up, the minute your heart starts racing, the minute you feel that twist in your gut or your face gets flushed, your brain doesn't know it's your VP that you're not getting along with or your teenager that's yelling at you, you're, the, you're so mean, I hate you. It thinks it's a, it's a tiger. It's, a, it's an animal. It's something's going to attack you. Why are you still standing there? Right? Hmm. So that it becomes a reaction instead of a response. Now, the prefrontal lobe or the frontal lobe, the job of that part of your brain is to organize, inhibit, uh, regulate, take perspective, decide whether you're in danger or not so that we can have a reaction. So we can have a response, sorry, to the situation instead of a reaction to the situation and learning how to control that is key. Right. Okay. And you've obviously, there are leaders listening who would say, yeah, I'm a little bit out of control in that. I get emotional. I get upset in meetings. I storm out. And you know what? When you're the senior leader, you have more permission to do that than if you're at the bottom of the food chain, so to speak, right? If you're an entry level first month on the job, you're not storming out of meetings. But if you're a founder, if you're the person with some power, that also buys you a level of insulation, which I've always tried to be very respectful of. Like, oh my goodness, you know, I I can't be the toddler here. I have to be the adult. But you're leading people like, okay, so let's say you get into a really inflamed situation in a meeting and we've had Mm -hmm. Pat Lencioni on. Pat will tell you, you need animated debate. You need animated Mm -hmm. conversation to make your meetings work. But how do you, if somebody is constantly, consistently triggered or angry or upset, or you got that board member who's like off the rails every meeting and has this one issue they they just don't seem to respond to. How do you begin to approach that as a leader? Like it's complicated. It's some of the it most is. difficult stuff we do. Yeah, it is. And it goes back to everything we were just saying too. So step one is you recognize that it's a program running, right? And you try mm-hmm. to actually identify that it's a program I, and know inside that it's probably a program running that from when you were seven years old. And then you actually ground yourself and center yourself, which we'll talk about in a moment. You also have to know that when you're in a position of, of power, when you're the leader, people aren't going to challenge you in, an, right. in a normal way. You're not going to get that what I call emotional sonar back. People are going to be like, mm-hmm. but they're thinking all kinds of other things, right? <laughs> yeah. When they, um, when they go home, they're telling people what an idiot you are, but in public. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, and what happens too, is I call it CEO syndrome. Like you can go home and, and sort of be in that position. Well, people don't challenge me and people do what I say. And I, I and you go home and it's like your teenager is like not having it. Your wife or your husband <laughs> not having it. And it's like, what do you do? Right. So it's, yeah. It really comes back to, the, so the reason I brought up heart co- brain heart coherence is that the brain and the heart have to agree. When the brain and the heart agree and you're in alignment, you will feel strong. You will feel in, in, in control in a good way, not a controlling way, but an in-control way. You will feel integrated emotionally. And now you're a leader, right? Because mm. now you are responding to people from a place of love. And we'll talk about that because it sounds corny, but it's really important versus fear. Whenever you are responding based on fear, and that's why you can have a passionate 
wonderful conversation with people, but you're, no one's no one's coming from a place of fear. They're coming from a place of, wow, this is amazing, but what about this and what about that? No, 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 we need this. But if it's coming from this place being very grounded in love for each other, love for the company, love for what you're doing, love for what you're bringing to the planet, it's all going to go very differently. If it's coming from a place of control, no one's listening to me. I'm losing control of this meeting. This happened yesterday with blah, blah, blah. And this happened this morning with my teenager. And so if we're, if we're trying to control conditions, now you're in trouble hmm. because you cannot control conditions. You can only control your response to conditions. That's the only thing you ever have control of, really. The integration piece is fascinating to me. And, mm -hmm. you know, as a former pastor, I have a bias in that area and as a person of faith, but that almost sounds spiritual. It almost sounds like, yeah. you know, a lot of what I've been working on in my adult life is to try to bring my life, my beliefs and my um, behaviors into line with each other, not from a behavior modification standpoint, but, you know, there's that ancient text in the Hebrew Bible that's out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And yes. I really think there's something to that. Is there like, yeah. So you're talking about like a lining up of, yep. of the heart and the mind to, mm -hmm. to, well, as Kierkegaard would say, to will one thing. Yeah. Yeah. And it doesn't have to necessarily be a religious thing or even sure. a, such an intensely spiritual thing. You can line up with the best version of yourself. Do I like mm -hmm. myself in this moment? Right. And our body talks to us all the time. So if you react in a meeting or you interact with someone and you know, deep down, it's coming from a place of fear, it's you're not in your best moment. You're not being a, a, the best leader in that moment. First of all, there's nothing wrong with that because it's those moments where you learn to check that and go, mm, I'm off the road there. I don't really love how I felt in that moment. I'm going to bring myself back. People think of negative emotions as being bad things. They're not They're That's your emotional GPS. When you feel like that, it's because you're off the road. You're off, you're out of alignment with your best self. And you think it's because you hate that other VP or you think it's because that person is, you know, whatever, challenging you. But no, what you're really disagreeing with is, is between you and you. Mm. That's the really important mm. part. So how you lead is by really truly lining up and leading yourself so that from moment to moment, you are constantly checking, am I integrated here? Am I in brain heart coherence? Do I like who I am in this moment. And what's really interesting is there's a big difference between, let's say, being kind and being nice. Good leaders know this, right? Sometimes being kind means being really tough on somebody, holding someone accountable, firing someone, challenging someone. But if you do that because I'm going to make that person feel bad, they're going to be sorry they ever messed with me. Now you're a, you're, that's a mess for that person. It's a mess for you. You're going to take that mess home. Trust me. But when it's lined up, when it's brain heart coherent, it'll be like, you'll deliver that message from a very different place. That person will actually learn a lesson. They may not integrate it at that moment, go on and maybe hear it from someone else and eventually make changes on their own. Right? Hmm. So it's really about, it's about being aware of when you're in and out of your own integrity. And when you're in a position of power, it is a really important, um, job. People look up to you. You matter to people. The company matters to people. They're looking to you um, as a very important figure in their lives, which can seem, seem very daunting, but it's very, very important. So as corny as it sounds, it's lining up with love, not fear. No, that's not corny at all. And, you know, I like to think about etymology. I'm an amateur in that, but, but, you know, integrity actually is connected deeply to integration, right? Yes, so what you're talking so. about here is the integration 
of the heart and the mind. I'm going to get this wrong because being married to a pharmacist and a lawyer, none of her medical <laughs> knowledge has rubbed off in me in decades. Okay. So I'm, I'm like, uh, I'm going to get this wrong, but you, you were suggesting terms, notwithstanding that the heart actually has not brain tissue, but like, like a, a no, mnemonic structure or that kind of thing. Yeah. What else is, I'm sure this could be its own podcast, but like, I, I'd never heard that before. So what are you saying? Your heart thinks? Like, yes. what, do, what do you say? Yeah, the heart informs the head. There is an amazing institution called HeartMath, which I encourage everyone to look into that has done incredible okay. studies about the heart and the heart-brain connection. That's why, and I, I'm going to get, I will probably also get this wrong, but I remember they were doing, I think it was this organization, it might have been another, were doing studies on where, where people feel emotions. And they, they had people in an MRI mm -hmm. machine and they invited a group of monks to be in this MRI machine to find out where love is to find out where that lights up in the brain. And the monks were all wow. laughing because they're like, they know where you're going to find love. You're not going to find it here. You're going to find it here, right? That's why universally everyone feels heart, feels love here. And when you panic, you feel it in your gut. You feel it in your mm. stomach. There's that drop, right? So the di most difficult part, and this is such a broad conversation, but it's so important when to pull it all together when you're a leader is that we live in a culture where our culture, particularly, we don't want to feel. We're told not to feel. We're parented not to feel. Oh, you're upset. Here's an iPad. Oh, you didn't get that. Let me buy you something. Right. So we're in a culture where if we feel what we call negative emotions, which are not even negative, they're, they're information. Um, we want to drink something so we don't feel it. We want to um, I don't make someone else feel bad. So we don't feel it. We want to buy something. We want to run away. We want to, we want to uh, escape from that emotion, but it will chase you just like that dog analogy I gave you, right? If you ignore mm. these important, what we call negative emotions, they'll keep following you. They're going to find you. And so lots of leaders have all kinds of like, you can have heart issues. You can have uh, stress and anxiety. You don't even know why, because you're carrying all of this energy from underneath you all the way up. And if you're not feeling that and releasing it, then you're going to end up not feeling well and you're not going to be a great leader. Hmm. Right. So, so, so because we parent, we've been parented this way and we parent our children this way, we're taught to fear emotion and avoid it. And it is bad. Being angry is bad. Being sad is bad. Being anxious is sad. No, it's information. So think of it as your GPS. You're driving along on the road, right? You behave in a way that you don't like, or there's you're not following your true self, or you're out of integrity, or whatever it is. You're going off the road. And you're going to hit that rumble strip. Your whole body's going to go, right? And you're going to think, oh, that's because of my anxiety. Oh, that's because of anger. And then you, you keep, you don't follow it. You're going to end up off the road. You use that negative stuff to go, oh, okay, all right, I got it. I got to get back on the road here. I got to get back on the road. Hmm. And that's by paying attention to that GPS system, actually feeling your emotions. To get out of something, you got to get into something. And that's basically how, how it works. To heal it, you got to feel it. That's just how we are. Well, that's good to know. I want to get into the calm technique because sure. I think this leads there. But a little interesting trivia, um, not that most people would know it, and some people listening will know this better than me. One of the challenges in biblical interpretation is uh, the seat of the emotions was actually um, the head, and thinking was the heart in ancient terms. And when Jesus was said to have had compassion— the compassion, the word literally means bowels, that he felt it in his bowels. So it's really interesting how the ancients 
looked at that and saw a connection between the gut, the heart, and the mind that we've kind of separated out. It's just really fascinating. Yep. Anyway. And you will see that in all kinds of readings and all kinds of ancient cultures, all kinds of religions. It's a knowing. It's an archetype. It's familiar to us somewhere. You see it in films and movies and books and in the hero's journey. It's something that we just know. We just have gotten so off track sometimes and so confused and so afraid of our feelings that we've lost. Um, we don't know how to read them properly. And it's essential to being a, a good human, a good leader, a good parent, and actually to being happy as well. So, so yeah, let's get into the calm technique because this will actually answer a lot of the first part of our, our questions of how do you manage these things? Yeah, so what is the calm technique? And by the way, that's an acronym, C-A-L-M. So mm-hmm. could you explain that for us? You're best yep. known probably, I think, yes. or one of the things you're most known for is the calm technique. Yes, absolutely. So it's a way of deep listening, using language, using compassion and empathy, literally as medicine to soothe someone, to calm someone down, and to bring both participants in the conversation into brain-heart coherence. So I'll, I'll give you a tiny bit of history here. When I, this is now going back like 30 years, when I finished my undergraduate degree in psychology, I knew what I wanted to do, but I also wanted to get out there and do some real work before uh, going back to graduate school and going on in my studies. And I ended up signing up to work at this group home. So this is a group home for street kids. So these were kids who had all been sexually abused, physically abused, deeply traumatized, sexually trafficked. Um, they'd been, and they were 11 to 16 years old, if you can imagine. So, so I came in as a, you know, brand new staff member, ready to do my, you know, figure out what to do here. And these kids, I mean, they could smell fear. I had no idea what I was doing. I was terrified. It was all over my face. You know, they were, they were really scary. They were quite behavioral. And we were trained in this group home to be very military on top of these kids. Don't turn your back. They'll, they'll take advantage of you kind of thing. And don't be soft with them. They'll see that you're weak. And this was really how we were trained. And then even back then, that did not sit with me. That that my gut, my brain, mm. and my heart were not in agreement with that. These are babies. These are children who'd been through terrible things. They needed love. They needed someone to actually see them. So and when it was nighttime and it was time to put them to bed and the makeup came off and the jammies came on and the teddy bears came out, they turned back into children. Children who just wanted to be seen and loved and, and, and to matter. And so I balked all the rules and I would do their bedtimes and I would sit on their beds and I would rub their backs and I would tell them bedtime stories and I would sing them lullabies. And these children would, I'm going to cry just thinking about it, would weep. Wow. And I would sometimes cry because I thought, oh my God, where was I when I was 11 and 12? I was home in my house with my parents sleeping at the end of the hall in their bedroom and my dog on the foot of my bed. And these are children who just had nothing. But here's what I noticed. The next day, when it was time for me to get those kids to do what I needed them to do, they were much more likely to do it for me. Mm. So now I had compliance. Now I had trust. Now I had them behaving in a way because we had a symbiotic, integrated, uh, trusting relationship. This is all leadership stuff here, right? So now it was interesting because the other staff were like, oh, she's a bleeding heart. Those kids are going to walk all over her. She's going to see it. It's going to backfire. So they're going to take advantage of her, blah, blah, blah. None of that happened, by the way. Hmm. Um, and because I had trust and compliance, I could actually set limits with these kids. And it was interpreted as a loving limit, not an injury. Right. And this goes back to being kind versus being um, nice. Right. When you're nice, oh, it's okay. I'll do it. Oh, it's okay. Don't worry about it. That's not good for you. You're going to be out of 
alignment. It's not even good for the other person who's now taking advantage of you and on some level isn't going to feel good about that either. Kind is, hey, I get it, but I'm not doing that for you. You need to do it. It's important for you to do it and just know it, right? So I did not get taken advantage of with these kids. It was actually amazing. And there was one child who had only been there a couple of weeks. She was, you know, going to a new setting. It was actually called a receiving home. Kids were only there for a short time. And she was one of the toughest kids. We'd had meetings for weeks about this kid coming into the setting. And she, I can see this as clear as day. She, she was walking down the sidewalk. She was about to put her hand on the, the door handle of the car and open it. And she paused. She came running back up the sidewalk. She put her hands on my t- cheeks. She looked deep into my eyes. And she said, I just want to remember this face, the face of someone who actually cared about me. That was a profound moment for me. And I'm grateful to her because that was a teaching moment. And that's the moment I knew, okay, what is happening? I need to understand this. Why don't we all do this? Why don't we all know this? And I devoted the next, well, I'm still every day. This is a, this is a living, breathing model, the connected parenting model. And uh, I knew it was medicine. And I went back and I trained in hmm. self-psychology. I developed my own kind of uh, practice. And this is where the calm technique comes in. So I... Um, I knew profoundly that biochemically what was happening was significant when you have a moment of connection like that. And that is where real change happens. That's where real growth happens. That's where mutual respect happens. And that's, if you can have that happening in your whole company, you will have everyone lined up with what's best for everyone else in the company and also for the company. And will it get messy in between? Of course it will. But if everyone's working on alignment, then you're going to get somewhere. And it's a beautiful place to work. And then you feel loved where you are. And then you, anyway, that's a whole other thing. So here's the calm technique. There are four things that you're going to do. You're going to connect. You're going to match the affect. You're going to listen and choose your words. And the M stands for mirroring. So biochemically, when we listen to another person, we are what's called mirroring. And most of us think we know what that is. It is not saying things like, I understand this must be very difficult for you. That is active listening, empathic listening, or effective listening. And that is very different. It has to go through the language center to get processed and hits the limbic system later. Mirroring or the calm technique, which is my version of mirroring, actually bypasses the language center, hitting you right in the heart, really giving this moment of like complete warmth and understanding. And now you're going to have a very different conversation with someone. So the good news is we're all pretty good at this. All of us know how to mirror with a baby. Nobody would look at a baby and go, hey, how are you? How are things going? Like, we look at a baby and go, oh my goodness, look at you, look at that. We, we intuitively know what to do. And when as an adult or caregiver, we are interacting with our baby that way or any baby that way, the mirror neuron cells in the brain are getting excited and they're releasing opiates, endorphins, and a very powerful hormone called ox- slash tra- neurotransmitter called oxytocin. Oxytocin is also known as the love drug or the tend and befriend Hormone, it's part of what's called the here and now chemicals, serotonin, Hmm. oxytocin. Those are um, um, neurotransmitters and hormones that release in the body that bring closeness and connection. I don't care what you're doing on this planet. We are social beings and we are only good when we are connected to other social people and when we're in harmony with those relationships. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't be out of harmony sometimes and you have to do some tough things and make some tough decisions. But those tough decisions should be for the best for you, but also for that other person. And then you're lined up with love and then you're good, right? So oxytocin then releases and now you have trust and compliance. So I'll give you an example. Um, Years ago, 
Did you want to ask a question? I'm sorry. No, I was going to say too, just so listeners who are trying to take notes, we will have the calm technique and the alliteration spelled out in the show notes for people and yes. link to and resources. Gonna, so yeah. yeah. I'm going to walk you through an example too in a second. Okay, great. I'm Let's just going to have it. Um, and then we could actually do one, which could actually be fun. We could like role play it and try it. So, sure, so here's the I'm thing. In. I remember uh, years ago, I worked for the Toronto District School Board as a social worker. And I was on part of the trauma team there. And I was working in this school and we, I didn't have my own parking spot because we never did. And we had to block people in and that had to get negotiated. So I ended up asking this teacher, is it okay if I block your car? I've got to go deal with something. And she's like, okay, fine. But I have an, an appointment with a specialist at 11 o'clock. Uh, you need to move your car by 11. I said, no, no problem. So I go back in. I deal with this kid who said he had a gun in his backpack. His He was not in the school that I was in. He was at a different school. So his school is now on lockdown. I'm dealing with the police. I'm trying to talk to this kid. I'm talking to the principal. I'm managing this whole situation. And of course, at 11 o'clock, I hear Jennifer Kalari, please move your car. Jennifer Kalari, can you please move your car? I can't move my car yet. It's probably 10 or 15 minutes before I can move my car. I come downstairs. This woman is beside herself. She is fear. How dare you? I told you I had a specialist appointment, blah, blah, blah. Now, freeze moment. I can react to her or I can respond to her. I have a moment in time where I can make a quick decision about what I want to do. I decided to respond to her and I used the mirroring technique, the calm technique in that moment. So I looked at her and I said, you know what? You did. You told me you had a specialist appointment. We sat here and made a whole plan about how my car was going to be gone. Not only that, it's 10 minutes past when my car should be gone. So do you see what's happening? She doesn't have to argue with me. She doesn't have to explain it to me. I am limbically sending a message back neurologically, chemically. I get it. Okay. I'm not being defensive in that moment. I just reflect back that I get it. I have not agreed with her. I just echoed back what she was feeling. I visited her planet. I don't have to stay. I don't have to pack a bag and live there. I just have to look around. Okay. Non-defensiveness is actually the key here. And it's a really difficult thing to do, but it is, it will give you such strength. It, it will give you a superpower. It really will. As will this technique. As I'm doing this, you can see her. She's like, she start, she's trying to stay mad, but she can't because I am biochemically calming her down. Oxytocin is now flowing, taking her out mm. of fight or flight, putting into her into an oxytocin-based response instead of an adrenaline-based, cortisol-based reaction. She is now calming down. Did we have a hug? No. <laughs> she drove away, kind of ticked off. I drove away. But if I'd gotten in an argument with her, let's say I reacted to her. How dare you? Do you know what I just had to be? Do you know what I was just doing for the last hour? What am I supposed to say? Hold on to your gun while I, while I, whatever, right? I can't, I'm the school social worker. I can't get in a fight with someone in the parking lot. I can't. And I would have been out of integrity and I wouldn't have felt good about myself and she wouldn't have learned anything anyway. I chose to respond to her. I chose to line up with love in that moment, not fear, drove home half the right way going, I wouldn't want to be her teacher, blah, 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 in my head. And then, but I didn't have to go, oh my God, did I really say that? Did I really say that to her on the school? I didn't have to regret anything that I said because I was in alignment so, that whole time, right? So was that the whole interaction? You just basically mirrored back like you're yeah. right and it's worse. And well, I, didn't, I never yeah. said you're right. I said, okay. I totally get it. According to what you and I agreed upon, my car is still here. And you have a specialist appointment and you're late. And I'm sauntering in here after 15 minutes. What I would like to have said, but didn't is that was, an, and that's what most of us do. I understand you're really frustrated, but you know what? I had an emergency. She was in a limbic state. She wouldn't have heard anything mm. about my emergency. So she you didn't said, apologize. No, no, I didn't need to. Right. So here's oh. what happened. 
it didn't end there because the next day I came back to that school. And of course, who's the first person I see? This person. She came up to me and she apologized to me. She said, I couldn't sleep last night because and she was swearing at me and everything. Like she was vile, actually. She was horrible. Um, and she said, I couldn't sleep all night. And you were so poised and you were so understanding. And I, I was horrible to you. And I was thinking like, I'm sure you didn't just block the car for no reason. And then I got to say, well, actually, right. And now we had a beautiful moment. Now we have some, that's how change happens. This, we think this changes. This does not change anything, right? This, this just makes more fear. It makes more distrust. That was a huge moment for her. And it was a huge moment for me. Is this easy? Absolutely not. It's the last thing you're going to feel like doing. It is a completely counterintuitive technique. Um, it is. It really, it totally is. Um, and in the moment, you won't always have what you think might be satisfaction, but you will never get satisfaction from making someone cry or making someone feel terrible or making someone feel guilty. That will never give you what you think it's going to give you. It will just make you go off the road. Right. Let's uh, let's do a bit of role play um, sure. or or dive into some more examples, because one of the things I've heard steadily from leaders, it's been building over time, but COVID just threw a bomb into it. It's like, you know, we live in this hyper polarized, divided era. Mm -hmm. There are divisions on the team. You know, somebody's pro vaccine, someone's anti vaccine, pro mask, anti vax, open, closed, lockdown, yeah. no lockdown, politics yeah. like and, and so yeah, there, nobody it, wants to open polarized. Their, everything's polarized. Nobody wants to open their email anymore. And, you know, you've got to lead these people through meetings. You got to deal with clients who have viewpoints. You got to have, you got congregational members who are threatening to leave if you do this. And then another group yeah. threatening to leave if you don't do that. When you're dealing with that kind of dynamic, which is sadly almost a daily occurrence these days for a lot of leaders in almost sure. every context, how would the approach work in dealing with some of those, you know, that irate mailbag, so to speak, yeah. that is yeah, yeah. unfortunately leadership today. It is a superpower. I don't know how else to, to word it. It, <laughs> yeah, it, yeah. Will, it will give you the tools to handle any situation, any polarity and do it with grace and do it with heart and actually have most people leave learning something really important. Um, okay. Yeah. You're going to say can I Can I give you a role play? Yes. To try out. Yes. yes. Okay. I'm you're you're the leader. I'm super angry uh, because you said that everybody should go get a vaccine, and right. I'm an anti-vaxer, and I right. think that's completely irresponsible of you. And why would you ever suggest that or post a picture of you getting a vaccine? And so I'm so upset. I'm gonna withhold my giving. I'm gonna you know take my business somewhere else. But I'm gonna chew a piece off of you before I do that. Okay. All right. So let's, let's unpack this and then we'll do the technique and it will do it the way most people would do it first. And then okay. we'll try the calm technique and we'll see the difference. So a few things awesome. we have to just understand first. People are, everyone is polarized. Families are polarized. Kids are polarized. Teenagers and parents are polarized. It, humans mm -hmm. are, it's just who we are. It's how we, it's, it, I don't know how else to put it. We're built this way. Right. And mm. as we, lockdown, we become further and further. So, so really good example of this would be parents, right? Usually one yeah. parent is like, you know what? It's not his fault. He's tired. He needs extra sleep. And the other person's like, this is ridiculous. This kid needs some rules. Right. And then the one, the softer parent, welcome to my marriage, mm -hmm. <laughs> welcome to everybody's marriage. So the truth is then you end up 
compensating for what you believe is a weakness in the other person's approach. And now mm. you have to be soft because the other one's too hard. And the other one has to be hard because the other one's too soft. And do you see how that happens? It happens everywhere, right. everywhere in life, right? So integration and mirroring is really about balance. And it's not about agreeing. Mm. It's about getting. Okay, so this is very key. Now, there are different things that people tend to hold dear. So many people, it will be um, sovereignty, their freedom, their independence. Mm. You can't tell me what to do. You can't box me in. That'll be a primary thing that they feel all throughout their life. And they will conflict with people over that. You'll have other people where it's all about safety. Safety. Right. It's like, who, how, are we safe? So what's interesting about the vaccination thing is both people are actually on the same side, right? We want to be safe. The, vac the, the people who want the vaccine want to be safe because they want to have the vaccine, and they think that's their way to safety. The person who's an anti-vaxxer wants people to be safe because there might be microchips in it or there might be yeah. uh, uh, you know, things that are in it that aren't tested properly, and this is new technology, and who knows where they're coming from, but that's going to be their belief that it has to do with safety, right? So course, you're going to yeah. have two very polar sides, both interested in safety. So that's where you start, right? You start with what, where they both find where the balance is, where the integration is. So mm. now, and, and, the, and every, there's no right or wrong. It's just how people are. So let's do the scenario. Let's do the thing. And I will say that I'm, you're going to be the, the person who's, the staff, right? I'm going to be I the, get to be the angry, leader. right? Okay. okay. All right. So I get to be angry and I'm, I'm having this in person with you and mm -hmm. let's, let's pick a church scenario. Cause I talked to a lot of church leaders. I'm at the service. I pull you aside after I'm like, I saw that, you know, vaccine picture you had on. You're encouraging people to get a vaccine. I'm totally right. opposed. I can't believe you've been duped by, you know, yeah. the people in charge of the world conspiracy. And now, you know, you're leading yep. people to, and I'm leaving. I'm probably leaving. Unless you retract, right. I'm probably leaving. Okay, and, perfect. You know, so let's do it that. first in a way that I think most people would do it. The average person okay. would do it. Um, and the other thing too about, um, about this particular issue is people get very polarized and they get very intense, right? So they, they mm -hmm. truly believe like, how could you be doing this? You're going to- yeah, I'm they, almost they, sticking it, my finger into your shoulder, Right. Yeah, like, but they, they like want mad. people to be safe. They like, how can you not see that this is happening, right? This is dangerous what you're doing. So they're mm -hmm. already very, very limbic, as are the people who believe, how can you not get a vaccine? You're putting people right. at risk. You're going to kill someone's grandmother if you don't have your vaccine. Like everybody is, is intense, but they're basically on the same side, right? They just don't know it. So let's do this. I'll be a, anybody. I'll, I, I'm just going to, I'll be the pastor and I am going to respond the way I think most people would. Okay. And then yeah. we're going to do it again. And I want to watch, I want you to see how the contact calm technique plays out. Okay. So, okay. all right. So you, you're pulling me aside. Go ahead. Yeah. I'm Start really angry. I, I, I saw your post on Instagram. You posted okay. that you got the vaccine. I think that's a misuse of your office. You're, you're completely okay. off base. I've, I've followed you for a long time, but you know, I'm losing confidence that you have the ability to lead this. And okay. frankly, a lot of people right. agree with me and I'm, okay. I'm mad and like, you need to either stop or I'm gone. Well, I hear what you're saying. And obviously you're very frustrated. And I know that you're having a really hard time with that, but I really just felt like it was important for the you know, parishioners to see me getting my vaccine and, and you don't have to get your vaccine. It's not about other people. 
So I just thought it was a really important message. I'm not mirroring here, by the way. I'm just being. Yeah, but that's your that's your that's your platform. That's your like. You're not supposed to do that. You're not. You're not supposed to make people like me feel like I'm second class. Well, and I certainly didn't mean to make you feel second class. I mean, you have all. Yeah, but you did. That's what you did with your platform. Well, okay, I understand that that made you very angry. So, so what's happening here? Anything? (laughs) Oh yeah, I'm getting madder, and you're defensive, and and I'm not even yelling. I'm, I'm being pretty calm. But n- none of that is working for you. So physiologically, this is, and, and this is a role play, which is so interesting because the midbrain doesn't know it's a role play. That's what's so fascinating. It thinks it's real. The frontal lobe. <laughs> I thought myself, I'm like, ooh, that was pretty good, Carrie. Maybe you should get <laughs> <Right>. into acting. <laughs> but you don't have to because here's what's happening. Everything I'm saying, no matter how gentle, was making you feel what? Unheard, unvalued. It's funny because I got the vaccine, so I'm playing the other role. But yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. So- and, and the more I try to explain myself, the more I get defensive, the more I try to explain why I did it, the, 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 the more the conversation continues. And you can see how this would play out with kids, teenagers. You can see how this would play out with worker colleagues, right? So it's, and it would continue to escalate. And you would walk Well, I was going to say, as we're doing this in this, you know, 30 second role play, I'm like, this does not end well. Like there's no, no. there's no good answer here. Like no. I'm leaving or we're upset or there's a big blow up and there might be an apology later, but yeah, yeah there's no, there's no easy answer here. And unfortunately, no, this they is reality. And, yeah. And they'll go off and find other people that think like them and talk about how horrible you are. And now mm-hmm. you have a whole growing thing that what do I do with that? And that happens in offices all the time, right? People will oh, yeah. give you a very different response to your face. Then they go into their offices and start a whole counter-revolution, right? Politics, silos, and turf wars. That's mm-hmm. right. So, so let's try this again. And I'm gonna I'm gonna do the calm technique. I'm gonna I'm gonna be present. So before I even tell you this, you want to center yourself. You can tell when the person's coming up to you. Oh boy. Mm. Here we go. Here he comes. Right? I got his Here email. He said he was gonna talk That's to right. me. So at that very moment, you want to be very aware that your your safety program is gonna want to run. But it's not going it, to, won't, it won't do well by you unless there's a lion coming at you, then it will. Okay. If it's a person, it's not going to work. Okay. So you're going to drop your tongue. You're going to, you're going to drop your tongue in the bottom. If you just relax your tongue against the bottom of your teeth, can you feel what happens in your stomach? It relaxes. You relax. If there's so, a lion so coming at me. at the bottom of your teeth. Yeah, just relax your tongue and let your tongue go soft on your bottom teeth. And your stomach will let go. Now, what happens is if a lion is coming at you, you're going to tighten up. Because you're going to want to mm. protect all of these internal organs. You're going to have a huge breath in because you're going to want to have a surge of oxygen and energy to fight back, to run, mm. to hide. But now it's your parishioner coming at you, <laughs> not a lion, okay? Yeah, the well, sa- thing same do, thing some days, yeah. <laughs> first thing you're going to do is you're going to give your brain a signal this is not a dangerous situation. It might be unpleasant. It might not be right. fun. Conflicts are not fun, although some people very much enjoy conflicts which is another thing. Remind me to talk about that because sometimes super okay. bright people actually enjoy conflict, but they don't realize that other people don't. Um, but we'll come back to that. Um, all right. So now I, I drop my tongue, I relax and I change my breathing. Now here's the thing. Everyone says, take a deep breath. Don't take a deep breath. That's the opposite of what you should do. Take a deep breath if there's a lion coming at you. <gasps> so you have lots of oxygen. Okay. If someone's coming at you and it's not a lion, you breathe out. What do you do if you think you oh, dropped again, your cell phone in the toilet or you just got a piece of, you know, good news and you thought something was going to be terrible? You go, oh, that's a signal to the brain. I'm not in danger. Okay. So that's how you turn off this programming mm. we we're talking about, a seven-year-old programming. Okay. And there's a billion other things I can teach you, but those are two really good ones. 
All right. So now you've done that. I've now done that. I've now centered myself and I see my parishioner coming at me. Let's try this again. So come at me again. Okay. Well, I'm, yeah, now you got me relaxed. So, okay. I've got to play <laughs> the role. Up your, All your right. angry. Jennifer, Correct. I am so upset. I saw that thing on Instagram. I, I, I don't know why you would post about vaccines. I mean, don't you know that's part of some global conspiracy? Oh my gosh, uh, I'm pretty yeah. sure the Bible speaks against it. And you know okay. what? Like, it's just, it's just part of that. Like, it's right. just. So you felt like I did something incredibly irresponsible. I put a piece yeah. of information out there that went against everything you believe. And actually you feel like it's putting people in danger. Okay. So t- tell me more about that. Like, what is, t- tell me about that. Well, yeah, you're right. I do. I just felt like you know, you're the leader. People look up to you. And if you say something like that, they're going to all yeah. want to go get vaccinated and that puts yeah. them in danger. And, so, you know, right. like, so, it's, yeah. So my vaccine actually told a whole bunch of people to go and get vaccinated, like as my word saying that you should. Well, right? I guess, no, maybe you didn't say that, but that's how I read it. Well, and you know what, for you, like I can see how important this is to you. Like you really believe these are untested, that you're not, you're not getting the vaccine yourself. And that my word is super powerful and really made people maybe take an action based on what I was saying. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Now we can move into, cause so, so we'll, we can talk wow. about what happens next. You, I feel that in my body. I feel the difference. You do because the oxytocin endorphins and natural opiates flooded through the body and told your brain there was no threat. That's exactly what happened. You bio. That's why I'm telling you, it is a super power. Now, I think I'm going to play that back like 17 times <laughs> just to memorize the technique because you didn't apologize, which nope. is what some, there's so many fake stories in leadership. Yeah. And there's so many, oh, I'm sorry, I'm really sorry. Are sorry. If you really are sorry, then say sorry. Mm. But if mm. you're not sorry, then just hear them. Right. And you, yeah. you can that's very powerful. So you could feel, and and again, because it's a role play, um, your frontal lobe knows that, but your body didn't. So your body was completely biochemically calmed down. Now we're having a conversation, not a confrontation. Now mm. we can hear each other, right? Is this easy? Absolutely not. This is quite a complicated thing, and it's not as easy as just hearing it. You have to practice it. You have to practice it with everybody you come into contact with. You have to center yourself and you have to line up with love and understand that you need to connect in that moment to what that person is feeling. People don't remember what you say. They remember how you make them feel, right? So now we're having a conversation. So people always say to me, okay, well, then what? Well, now you can start to talk about what could be done differently. Are there other messages? Um, can you see, maybe they'll come to the understand that, yeah, I understand why you had to do that. I do understand. I just don't mm-hmm. like it. Um, can we have a forum about it? Can we have a conversation? This is such a good example of how um, in our messy human world, we have to find commonality, right? So then then where I would probably go is, so you're really interested about safety. You want people to feel safe and not have these vaccines that you think are untested. And then my idea was I would keep people safe by getting them, having them get this vaccine. Mm. So interesting how we both want the same thing. Right. Right. We both want safety. And most rational people will respond to that and go, mm-hmm. okay, we're two reasonable people who have different opinions on that. And yeah. 
I have found that. Okay, um, there are some people who may be unbalanced. There might be some people who, as you say, I'm bringing you back to it, love conflict. Mm-hmm. It's like, mm-hmm. actually, Jennifer, I just came for a fight today. So, yeah. you know, yeah. I'm going to keep well, swinging if you de-escalate. Well, what, if, what if you have someone who just loves conflict? Um, honestly, it's still a superpower. Like, it, it really mm. is. You can absolutely, if you stay with this, you will give them nothing to fight back against and they will go away. I remember doing a workshop years ago on this technique and it was, it was, it was a, I said, it was a group of organizations, mental health organizations. And one, I did my whole thing and people were all into it. It was great. And at the very end, someone stood up and they worked for some organization where they, I don't remember what it was. It was for homeless people or something. And they, they get into lots of confrontations and, and they were really believed that this wasn't going to work. And so they they got up in front of a crowd of about a thousand people and they're, they're having an argument with me. Right. This is ridiculous, and it's just going to make us weak, and you have no idea how this wouldn't work with our population, and blah, 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 blah. And I basically said, so you sat, and it's a waste of time. I just wasted an hour and a half of my time. And I did, um, you know what? So you sat here this entire time hearing about a technique that is completely not useful to you, that you don't think could calm the person down. And as I'm doing this, the person is completely calming down. Now, people, people thought this was a plant. He wanted to embarrass me. He wanted to, right? He wanted to just, he was angry. He was going to, he wanted to just have his moment. And I totally respect that. And there's lots of reasons why he came in that place. And he probably believed, I don't know, that this was putting false hopes into people and this isn't going to work and whatever. The only thing I could do was do the technique on him. He fully calmed down. He came back to me later and said, I get it. (laughs) I was like, okay. And people thought it was a plant. It was not a plant. Trust me, I would not. I would not do that to myself. But are there times when the person absolutely cognitive, emotionally, they're in a vortex, they can't do it? Of course, there are, and there might be sections, situations where you have to call for help and call the police and mm. God knows what. But, but you're dealing with is, one or two percent, then not ninety tiny percentage. Who, tiny percentage. Yeah, um, yeah. And I'll give you a couple more examples because people really kind of sure. need to feel this. I remember doing a workshop for a. a, a pretty large group of people. And I was telling the story of the, um, when I blocked the teacher in. Right. And as I finished this story, this guy stood up and said, Oh my God, you have to hear this. And he stands up and he says he was on the phone with his wife because he had blocked her car in taken the subway and come to his, this talk that I was doing. And she's on the phone going, you, idiot! you blocked my car in and you did that last week. How am I supposed to get to work now? Blah, blah, blah. And he's like, oh, my God, I totally did that to you. And I did it last week. But he completely mirrored to her. Within seconds, she was like, honey, it's okay. Honey, these things happen. Don't you worry. You enjoy your conference. I don't want to do this to you. Totally changed. And he had literally just heard me tell the story. So it is so powerful. I can remember the first time that someone mirrored to me. It was Faye Mishnah. She was my supervisor at Integra, an agency that I was working at. She's now the dean of social work at U of T. Brilliant, brilliant woman. I had been a student at this agency where I was doing my internship. There was another student there who had already been doing this for a year at a similar agency. So she was clearly ahead of me. She had more experience. She was, she was just on top of things. And I was just twisted into shape that they liked her better and they didn't like me. And, and when you set that intention, when you kind of see things that way. The brain has a part of it called the reticular activation system, where it basically tags things just like a computer, right? Hmm. So it tags your different beliefs. So my belief was they don't like me, they like her. They're grooming her to be this great therapist and they're ignoring me, okay? And so guess what I saw all day long? 
all the times when they paid attention to her. They probably were paying attention to me just as much, but I didn't tag that, okay? It was happening, but I couldn't tag it. So one of the things that I did was I was late for about a week and a half. I was mad. And I'd come in mm. like 10 minutes late, 20 minutes late. Ridiculous. It was stupid. It was just dumb. And I would, and finally, after about a week and a half, I come off the elevator and Faye is waiting for me. And she said, Jennifer, can you come to my office? I want to have a conversation with you. And as we're walking down the hall, my heart is pounding. And I'm going to tell her that they ignore me. And they, they how, what kind of a place only pays attention to one of their students and not the other? And they gave her a big, tall, beautiful mug for Christmas. And I got a stubby little brown mug. Who does that? And I'm you know, working myself up as I get into her office. I sit down. And this is what Faye says to me. She says, I can't help but wonder if we are just blowing it as an agency. And you're not getting something that you need, and you're trying to tell me by being late. First of all, who talks to someone like that? I almost fell off <laughs> my door. It was, I expected her to say, which she very well should have in many respects, and certainly in the, in the regular world, uh, this is unacceptable. You're, you're, you're a mm -hmm. master's level student. You know, I'm going to have to talk to your supervisor about this. Like, how do you think, what message are you sending? Blah, blah, blah. And she would have been right. But behavior is never the problem. Behavior is a symptom of the problem. And Faye knew that. And she chose what, what she calls, and I love, um, ruthless compassion. Ruthless mm. compassion. Right? So that's what she chose in that moment. And in that moment, I felt deeply understood, deeply heard. Oxytocin, okay, is now inhibiting and bringing down the cortisol levels, the adrenaline levels. My, my serotonin levels are going up. My oxytocin levels are going up. And now I burst into tears. Maybe mm. I just suck. I don't know if I'm any good at this. <laughs> now all the vulnerability could come out. Now Faye could lead me, right? Now we can have a conversation about what that behavior meant. What was I trying to tell her? And what did I need? And the truth is that moment taught me that is how you inspire people. That is how you change people. I wanted to go then and do the best job I could ever do for that agency mm. after that. Nothing could have made me want That's to do that. That's a powerful more, story. Right? Can you, because I've heard you do this in different interviews, but can you share a little bit of the parenting application? Because we do have a lot of parents listening yeah. and I know that's what you spend a lot of time doing, but just yep. give us a little window because we all we all try to lead at work. Then we come home and like the kids are driving us nuts or yeah. something yep. isn't right at home or we blocked our spouse in and she's <laughs> mad at us, right? So what? What? what yeah. talk about it in a domestic setting. Well, so here's the good news. It can work at home. Here's the bad news. It's way easier to do at work. <laughs> no matter what your work situation is, it's way easier to do than it is at home. The closer the person is to you, the more triggering and the harder it is. So mm. you can do it to someone else's kid. You can do it to a nephew. Really much more harder to do it with your own child and really hard to do with your spouse. That's the truth. Um, should you do it? Absolutely. Is it the greatest gift you could give your child? No question. Um, but it really is important. So that's the first thing that I wanted to just say there. The other thing that happens, especially, and this is especially true for leaders and CEOs, they people are asking them questions all day. They're responsible for everyone all day long. They're holding the big picture in their head and their heart all day long. And when they come home and you just ask someone to unload the dishwasher and they're like, no, you're mean or whatever. It's like, what? Are you kidding me? Right? So before I even answer this, I want to make sure that everyone hears that um, not only is this powerful to do with your kids, but before you come in the door, take 10, 15 minutes, sit in the car, go for a drive, take the long way home, do something else before you come in the door. 
Because when you come in the door, your children need you. They need you present. They need to be seen. Often what we do is just a minute, just a minute. I got to answer something. I'm just, just let me, let me get my head together before I, right. And you're barraged at the door, right? Take that time outside. Get yourself together, breathe, drop your tongue, think about baby pictures of your kids, do whatever you can to get yourself in a place. So when you open that door, you are present, right? That's really important. Then with the calm technique, you there's two things that I want the parent part of your brain to hear. One, I don't want you to go, oh, I can't wait for my kid to be upset so I can use this amazing technique. I want you to think about it as a philosophy as a way that you interact with all humans, not just your kids, right? Mm -hmm. So that you're constantly trying to do this. And when you blow it, because we all blow it, you need to go back and you need to do a repair. Do you remember yesterday when I told you to go live with the neighbors? I didn't even stop and think about how upsetting that was when I was telling you to do this and you wanted to do that. You see? Now you're going to be, and constantly what's so important, this is also important for leadership though, with your team, with your staff, because this will all get filtered down. The more, the more emotional safety and psychological safety people have, the more invested and, and the more here and now chemicals are flowing at work, the more that's going to flow outside of work, all to everyone at work, but also outside of work. There's a whole life approach. Yeah. There is because, and then you're going to have people more, being more productive. You're going to have people missing less days. Because as you parent them this way at work, right, um, they're going to go home and go, oh, that felt good. I'm going to do that with my kids. So this is, this is the messiness, but also the wonderfulness of all of this, mm. right? That it, it's like dropping a pebble in the water and the rings just go out and out and out. Um, be that person in, in your world that inspires other people to go and do that for other people. This is how we're going to change the planet. This right. is how we're going to do it. One household one company, one business at a time, right? This is, this is no small thing. So as you do this with your kids, it builds emotional resilience, emotional organization, and integration. So now your own kids, and I know you have them tutored and you've got them in all these wonderful programs and you want them to be in great schools and you want to, the next to food and water, oxytocin. That's what mm. builds a good brain. That would, that's what builds a strong brain and a resistant brain to uh addiction that that's oh, wow. the primary thing that actually fights addiction it's not it's connection connection is the antidote addiction so take us into a uh let's pick a middle school teenage scenario where mm -hmm. there's conflict with the teen what are some of the ways you've seen and again just remind us c-a-l-m so it starts with yep. so it starts with connect so this oh i didn't even do this so this is the connecting part you're going to take your agenda are you kidding me? I had one job that I wanted to do. Are you kidding me? You know, this is, you can't do one thing that I ask you. Right. Whatever so we'll use the dishwasher thing. <laughs> I may have done that as a parent. All right. I may have right. flown off the handle. I use it as an example all the time in, in my talks. It's like your eight-year-old didn't unload the dishwasher and, you know, you react at a 12 out of 10 and it's really a three out of 10, but yep. it's like, what is wrong with you? And every other kid helps <laughs> out around the house and you're lazy and you're, you right. know, it's not hard right. to go down that road. It so uh, let's go through that. So you, okay. you don't right. so react. Do you, yeah. So you don't react. You do the same thing where you kind of center yourself first. Yelling, which, which sometimes we do at work, which we shouldn't, but, um, but certainly with our kids, I want you to tell, tell you one quick thing about yelling and then we'll go through the, the technique. If you are angry and what is coming out of your mouth feels fantastic, you're being a jerk. Okay. It's not, it's not, you're not being nice. You're being mean. You're being a, you know, definition. Okay? 
Yeah. <laughs> you should feel your own frontal lobe suppressing. Like, okay. Like you should feel your brain actually do the inhibiting. If you are free flow yelling and it feels great, it's wrong. Okay. That's the first <laughs> thing you have to know. Okay. And the other thing to know about kids, but also everyone is whenever anyone is being um, yelled at, reprimanded, sharply spoken to, whatever it is, they may behave after that out of fear to not um, do that thing again, but it's not going to be a true change. It's not going to be an integral internal change. That's going to come from having an amazing exchange, feeling like they disappointed you and wanting to fix it. That's where change happens. Mm. Fear does not Mm. create change. It creates obedience. And that's not the same thing. And that's not what you want in your in your company, in your world, or in your house. So having said that, got the dishwasher thing. Let's say it's a teenager. You want to grab something. The sink is full of dishes, whatever. You want to cook and you can't. So typically we would come home. And do you want to do the role play? Do you want to be a teenager? Yeah, sure. I'll be a teenager. Can you channel your inner like 16-year-old? Okay, perfect. I can do that. So, All right. We're going to do it the way typically parents would do it first. And then we're going to do mm-hmm. it again and you're going to feel the difference. Okay. Okay. So, um, wh- why is the dishwasher not unloaded? We've had this conversation. I, I was to do the dishwasher. Did, wasn't I my told day. you to do, do you know how busy my day was? Do you have no, you didn't tell me how hard it, you didn't I, tell me. Don't you tell me. I didn't tell you. We had this conversation no. yesterday. I, I texted it to you. Look on your phone. You have not. Uh, don't play. You know what? Oh if yeah. You know I was busy. Play, I was with my friend. Sorry. You were a bit, look at my dogs. They're coming to care for me because they think I'm upset. It's like, <laughs> um, they're so cute. Dogs Mommy, are there to rescue it's you. It's a role play. Okay. But, uh, and I'm getting more mad. Good job. And you- <laughs> yeah. We've all been in that kitchen and we've all been yeah. that parent. Yeah. And as the teenager, you're going to get more mad. That's going to go from, you didn't tell me something to like, yeah. you always it's like, do like, this it, You're stupid. You're stupid. Yeah. All right. Yeah. My, my friends yeah. don't have to do this. Their parents let them do whatever but they want. Exactly. It's going to escalate beyond right? Mm-hmm. So if we do this again, you, I would start with, Hey, I know you're busy. Or, and usually they're doing, first of all, if they're even out of their bedrooms. You're it, you're yeah, 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 it's a miracle. Them in right. on their video games. Um, but you come in and you go, you, you know what? I know I'm about to say something that's going to aggravate you so much. What? I've had like the craziest day and I just wanted a coffee cup and the dishwasher is full. Now yeah. what do you want to say? Um, okay. Sorry about that, mom. What's going on? Okay. Well, I, I love you and I know you, I know you're hearing me and I just really want you to do it. Okay. Do you think you could do oh, it? Could you do it now? Was it my day to unload the dishwasher? It was. Yeah. We talked about it yesterday and it would just, it would make such a, I know you have a lot to do and you got assignments that you're caught up with. And I, I know we've had this conversation a million times, but I would so love it if you could just do it. Do you think you could do it now for me? I could do it now, mom. Thank okay. you. <laughs> it always go that way. Doesn't Sometimes usually go that easy. Uh, how am I going to uh, fight you on that? How are you going to fight me? So 95% of the time actually it goes like that. And wow. then don't stand there watching them do it. That's the mistake a lot of parents make. You didn't it's put it away five, properly. Right? Yeah. Or five <laughs> minutes goes by and they still haven't done it. And then you come flying in and go, I thought you told me. Right. Just leave it for a minute. Give them an opportunity to do it. And when they do do it, don't, don't have a parade. Oh my God, you did it. That's so awesome. Thank you. You have no idea how helpful that was. Just just go in and go, You, thank you so much. That was awesome. I really appreciated yeah. that. And walk away. Right? So the power comes from the realness. 
I'm taking notes. Okay, so let's bring this back to work. I mean, I feel like this could be a three-hour podcast. We'll have to have you back because <laughs> well, I had I other questions that. we didn't even great. get to. Didn't even get to. Um, so we're, you know, when we, we see that, we kind of understand, okay, we're, we're de-escalating it through using the calm technique and you can pull someone aside. Okay, I've got a question for you. Can mm-hmm. you do this via email or text? Yes. Or does it have to be, you can actually. Okay, Absolutely. I thought you would have said no. No, okay, 100% so, you can. In fact, you have to now, especially in our world. So mm-hmm. you just, and it's actually easier because you can sit there for a second, get your inner seven-year-old out of the way and really craft a beautiful and thoughtful response, right? So it would be, mm. you, it, so it, if you can give me a scenario, it would help, but it would be something like, you know, hey, I know you've done this, this, and this, and you're probably looking at it this way, and you were so good about this last week, but, right? It, it's, it's like you do the mirroring and then it's like you, you do the mirroring and then you present the problem. Does that make sense? Oh, okay. So it's not really a but. Yep. Take that out. It's not. So if I'm, okay, you know, once in a while, every leader gets this. You get, um, so there's sort of like customers, clients, congregation. There's that where you get the all caps email with no spaces. Mm-hmm. It could be the vaccine. It could be something you said. It's something they disagreed with, uh, mm-hmm. you know, a bad customer experience. So let's let's take the irate client. Um, mm-hmm. Okay. Or, or um, someone's ready to leave you a one-star Google review because mm-hmm. they went to your restaurant, your restaurant owner, uh, terrible meal, service was bad, food was cold, manager was insensitive. And so I'm, you know, emailing you now mm-hmm. to let you know why your restaurant is the worst restaurant ever. And I'm going to leave a one-star Google review. Okay. So the first thing you have to know, you will always have those. Even if you have the best restaurant in the world, someone will come in a bad mood and didn't want it to be great. And they're going to give you a one-star review. You, honestly, you cannot, and it's much more about them probably than you. If you and, but right. having said that, there could have been things that fell apart. So what people don't want is they don't want you to blame anyone else. They don't want you to defend and explain why. Well, it's COVID and, oh, we have all these, like most people know this, but the truth is they don't want that. They want right. to be mirrored to. They want you. So I'll, I'll give you an exact example. We went out as a family to a restaurant a month ago. Uh, it's a memorial of my mom. My mom passed away a year ago and so we couldn't sorry. get to her because it's COVID. It, yeah. And it was just part of, and she had Alzheimer's. So she'd been unwell for a very long time. And we went to her favorite restaurant here to just have a memorial for her. Cause we can't really do anything else. Hmm. And we were put in some room and they forgot about our table and there were plates left out on the next table that smelled like fish. Like it was a beautiful restaurant, but just so many things went wrong and we were irate. And, uh, the waiter came by and I forget what his, oh, his excuse was, oh, I'm sorry to leave you waiting for so long, but I wanted to get a bunch of tables out of the way first so I could really give you good service. So you can imagine how that went over. It's like, really? Okay. You're doing us a favor by making Trying this? Trying to follow the logic here. I don't see no, it. Yeah. It's not going to work. Um, and then the manager came over and explained um, that it was COVID and there's all these restrictions and they're understaffed and the person was new and they can't keep staff around here because blah, blah, blah. And we're like, <laughs> like what we really wanted was for him to just take it and own it. Right. And say, you came here for a special night. You had an, ex- you had a really important thing that you were going to do together as a family. You wanted to honor your mother. We told him we were there. Every single thing went wrong. We have let you down. That's what we needed to hear. And that's what he didn't say, actually. Right? And, and I, he's, he didn't need to even apologize. He just needed to say that. 
Does that make sense? A hundred percent. You know, it's so funny. Uh, we're boaters. We live near a lake and it took five weeks for the marina to get me my boat. And they didn't call me once. Lots of me chasing them. Oh yeah, we forgot that. Oh yeah, it'll be ready. And then I went to pick it up and like there was a cable they had snapped and they're like, okay, we'll get that fixed. And then they never called back and they never fixed it. So I finally went to pick it up and they were all supposed to detail it. I paid for a detail. They didn't do it. And eventually they started detailing it in the parking lot, like finishing it while I was there. And I've got a manager, I've got a mechanic, and I got a 21-year-old kid. And the 21-year-old kid comes up to me after and he goes, you know what? I was supposed to detail your boat and I didn't do a good job and I own that. And I'm really, really sorry. He says, I apologize for that. So what's your name? And I said, you know... You're the only person at this marina who's apologized to me even once or owned a single thing. I said, if you ever want a job, look me up. Uh, But you're right. And there was COVID and there was this and they're so busy and it was dirty because they've got a construction site next to them. And all that's true. I still don't have my boat back and I still waited four more weeks than I should have. And, you know, I get it. I get it as leaders. Well, that kid knew exactly what the right thing to do in that moment. And he was probably in brain heart coherence in that moment. Right? And that's why it was so genuine. And that why that's why it's what you needed. And all you needed from that company is, you know what? It's your boat. You wait all winter for it. The day that you take it out is like unbelievable. And here we've done this and this and this and this wrong. You still don't have your boat, right? That's all mm. you need. And what happens is when we we think that if we explain it away or we don't react to it so much or we have really good reasons why, that we're going to protect ourselves somehow and look better somehow, you don't. When you try to cover it up, you look incompetent, you look afraid, you look uh, all the things you're afraid you're going to look by doing it, <laughs> really. Uh, you look stronger and more integrated and more impressive and more loving doing it the right way, right? The way that this kid did really, it. really, really good, Jennifer. Um, oh, yeah. What about people who would say, and I think you've answered this already, but I know it's a freaking objection to mm-hmm. your technique. Um, do people get like to attach to you as a result? Do they become codependent on you because you're like their mom or their dad or, you know, the one person who listened to them or does it end up producing just like people who don't care about results? It's like, well, I know she's just Mm going to listen to me and hear me so I can go off the next time. Like Uh, what about those things? That's a really good question and a very rich question. The answer, and so people ask me all this all the time, especially with parenting. Like, if I do this with my kid, are they just going to rely on and expect everyone else to do it? The answer is the exact opposite will happen. Hmm. They will become so much more integrated, so much more confident. They don't need anyone else to do it. Somebody else can hmm. yell at them and they're like, eh, I'm loved. I'm good. Right? They will hmm. also want to please that person and not in a, oh, I'm going to make him feel good kind of way. But like, he really had my back. He really got me. Hmm. I want to make sure I do something really important for him to honor that because I want to be part of this company and I really appreciate the way that I've been dealt with there. Like that, it does not make people weaker. It makes people stronger, first of all. They don't become rely on it because I'm not, it's so hard. This really should be a three hour thing because there's yeah, only yeah. There's two halves to it, right? The, the connecting part is just the first part. That's how you create safety. That's how you create change. And often that's enough. They go off and do the right thing because you handled it that way. But then you have to come in sometimes and actually be, make decisions and fire people and replace people and and actually call people out on the things that they've done wrong. And that's where um, 
those loving limits, especially when they're lined up from, and they're coming from a place of love, not fear, is they're going to walk away feeling reprimanded and feeling like, well, not reprimanded. That's not the right word. Feeling corrected and be like, damn, I got to do a better job next time. I really blew it versus mm. what an asshole. You can bloop that out if you want. Yeah. Right. What, you know, oh, I can't believe that. And I, he's just, I'm, I'm never, I, I'm going to send my resume out. I'm out of here. Like that's, that's what's going to happen. Right. If you do it the other way. Yep. So yeah. it, it actually we should probably have you workers. back to talk about those limits. Like what happens with, you know, firing? Cause that is a reality. This isn't going to solve mm-hmm. every single problem you have, but there's probably a better way to do it. Do you find that using these techniques, the mirroring, the calm technique produces better teams and um, yeah, l- like lower turnover? Do people want to stay longer Absolutely. when they're in that kind of environment? Not only lower turnover, but better productivity, fewer days off, mm. fewer sick days. Um, people feel like work is a pleasant place to be. They want to be there. You spend more of your life at work than you do at home, right? Yeah. And, and the reverse, you're actually a more pleasant person at home too, because you don't mm. have to carry all. And I'm not saying there's not going to be challenges. Of course there is. But when they're handled with self-respect, when they're handled with grace, when they're handled for the right reasons, everybody learns. And even having to fire someone, that's a really good example sometimes of kindness. If you keep some hmm. person on who's a disaster, you're not being fair to them. That, that's not even good for them, that, let alone your company. And whether they are able to take that and become a, a student versus a victim, if they can walk away and go, that place is horrible, they were terrible to me, they're going to, guess what? Your next job's going to look exactly the same. I have news for you right? Yeah. The same thing's going to yeah. happen where you go next, right? If you can leave that job and go, you know what? That sucked, but that was true. That maybe they did this that wasn't okay, but those things I need to own. And then when I go to my next job, I'm not going to do that. Well, now you've helped that person. You've helped that person to grow. We learn mm. by being uncomfortable. We learn by being challenged and we learn by limits, right? So if you're just running around mirroring and you're not actually leading, then yes, people will end up relying on you and getting, trying to get away with things. But that's not being truly integrated. That's not being in brain-heart coherence. Well, right? and I think most of us probably have work to do on the front side where we're actually mirroring, we're actually listening rather than defending, explaining, justifying, all of those things. So this yeah. has been tremendous. People are going to want to learn more. Where can they find you online? And is there a resource that you recommend for leaders on how to bring this into work and home? Sure. So you can go to connectedparenting.com. I have tons of information on there. For the parents in the audience, and there's probably a lot of them, um, I have my podcast, Connected Parenting Podcast. I also have another podcast called the Mental Health Comedy Podcast, which I co-host with Ed Krasnick, where we interview well-known comedians and uh, entertainers about mental health, and we give actual strategies. So that's a great place to learn how to control this amazing brain so that we control our feelings instead of our feelings controlling us. Um, So those are two resources. I have an online parenting courses. For the corporate stuff, I usually just go in and do speaking engagements or I'll work with teams or I'll do, you know, Hmm. workshops with different organizations and consulting. And then I do see, although my caseload is crazy, I I will work one-on-one with high-level execs and people on how to bring this to their workplace. And I'll go in and do troubleshooting sometimes when there's a real mess with staff. And, and, um, you know, it's really about creating creating a microcosm of the world in your office, right? Mm. And when you're able to do that, that moves outward. 
Oh, it's so good. I, I hope we do a round two if you're open to it because oh, I, I got that. all these questions. You're an incredible communicator. That. I do want to know how you get it all done because I'm familiar with your work and it's rather astounding to be honest with you. And we can talk about limits and everything next time. Jennifer, yeah. thank you so much. It's oh, been a it's joy. Been a, it's been wonderful. Thank you so much for having me. Well, now she's on your radar too, right? I mean, the first time I heard her, I'm like, whoa, this is so, so good. And uh, you can practice some of the things she shared. We have show notes for you. You can find those at kerryneuhoff.com slash episode 437. And we'll have links to everything there, including transcripts, if you want to go a little bit deeper. I've got an Ask Me Anything About Productivity, uh, what do you call it, coaching session coming up in just a minute. I'm going to talk to Kyla about the inefficiency of onboarding team members. When you have change in the organization, how do you make it efficient and effective? Uh, so that you can manage your time better. So we'll talk about that. Love that question. If you have got a question for me, by the way, I would love to hear from you. So what you can do is you can just head on over to kerryneuhoff.com slash podcast. Scroll down a little bit. You'll see a little like microphone thing. Leave me a voice message. I will coach you on this podcast. So uh, we got some really exciting guests coming up. Michael Todd has just agreed to come back on. Uh, we've got David Allen from Getting Things Done, Charles Duhigg, Aaron Meyer, who wrote all about Netflix, Hort Schultze is back, uh, Jessica Jackley, and Dave Hollis, uh, and a whole lot more. Uh, also, some guys from The Art of Charm. Yep, we're doing a lot of really interesting things. Oh, and I didn't tell you this. I just recorded an almost two-hour conversation with John Mark Comer. Cannot wait for you to hear about that. It was so powerful. So if you subscribe, you get that all for free. You never miss an episode. And um, who's up next time? Well, Pete Scazzaro. We're going to talk about anxiety, moral failure, how your platform can outgrow your character, and uh, developing an interior life that will help you last as a leader. And for those of us who are people of faith, as a Christ follower, here's an excerpt. Like you say, why would they do such a stupid thing? Like they even actually have a pretty good marriage and they go have an affair. And you're like, why? Or, or they embezzle money, but they don't even really need it that badly. And you're saying, why would they do that? Why That's would a great you? question. Yeah. Well, I mean, part of it is they're, they're looking to get out. The pace of their lives is unsustainable. They're angry at something, maybe at themselves, a situation. They don't, they don't have any idea how to redo their lives. So they do something stupid so they get kicked out. You'll kick me out, so that'll get me out. Now, is I'll that intentional? Are they like, no, I'm it's get totally fired? no, it's all subconscious, right? Yeah, yeah, they have no idea why. But That's next time on the podcast. Now it's time for Ask Me Anything About Productivity. Hey, thanks to our partners this week, Remodel Health. You can figure out whether you are being overcharged and underserving your team by getting a health benefits analysis custom to you. Use the code CARRY50. For 50% off. That's C-A-R-E-Y 50 for 50% off. And by Generis. If you want to know whether you can increase the level of generosity, uh, get a free discovery call with them by going to generis.com slash carry and finally have your resources match your vision. So uh, this little segment that we're doing for a few months, Ask Me Anything About Productivity. Uh, I would love to take your productivity questions. Go to kerryneuhoff.com slash podcast. Leave me a voice message and tell me what you're struggling with. Like, what is it? Is it like sleep? Is it getting up early in the morning? Is it you got way too much to do? Are you bored at work? Are you having trouble focusing? I've got a brand new book releasing September 14th, which is getting closer and closer all the time. 
It's called At Your Best, and it's all about getting time, energy, and priorities working in your favor. Uh, It's everything I know about productivity and getting, well, out of overwhelm in a book form. And uh, I thought to celebrate that, I would just do some coaching too. So bring me your problems by heading over to kerryneuhoff.com slash podcast. I got to tell you, I'm so excited about this book launch because thousands of leaders have already used the strategy. I've been developing it for a number of years. And if you pre-order the book right now at atyourbesttoday.com, you will also get a masterclass. We sunk a lot into this masterclass, so you're going to get it for free, but only if you pre-order for a very limited time. So why don't you do it right now? And for the price of a book, you get a really professionally, beautifully shot masterclass, all of my best content. You can get that at atyourbesttoday.com. Don't forget the today, atyourbesttoday.com. If you're wondering whether it's for you or not, here's what one person who has been through the content has said. He said, because I'm more efficient at work, I never miss a practice for my kids or a game that my son is involved in. And before he said, I was never in control of my life or time or schedule. And because of that, I was always saying yes to the wrong things. Priorities never got the attention they needed. Then after he went through the material and at your best, he said, the strategy taught me to control my schedule, my time, my energy, and my capacity, which allowed me to get more done. Because I'm more efficient at work, That's why I never miss a practice anymore. So if you're interested in that and that kind of reads your mail, head on over to atyourbesttoday.com. Yeah, you can pre-order the book, get the masterclass for free. And now it's time to coach Kyla. Here is her question. Hey, Carrie, just wondering uh, when you're onboarding new staff, it seems to take an extraordinary amount of energy and time. Wondering if you have any strategies about that and whether there's a timeline to which you give it quite a bit of your attention and then kind of back off. Um, Yeah, that's my question. Thanks. Kyla, thank you so much for your question. So it's an important one because this is more than just about onboarding staff. There are certain repeated things that you do. And we don't have a huge team, but I mean, I have onboarded so many staff over the years. And even this year in my company, we're going to be onboarding at least two people. And you're totally right. Uh, it can take a lot of time. You don't need to be a large company to say, okay, now we got to bring somebody on board. And what happens is if you're time pressured, you're not going to do it well. And if you don't do it well, you pay a price. The organization pays a price. And of course, the person you just onboarded pays a price because they've never really uh, developed or, or fit into the team. So if you don't get it right, here's here's what can happen. Uh, people will leave, right? They're like, this isn't the right fit for me. And six months later, somebody that you just invested a lot of time and money in is gone, or uh, they never quite fit, right? They never quite get the culture, or you miss out on their potential and your organization's potential. So it's a really, really important question. Now, often the hardest thing about onboarding new staff is helping them understand the culture. So I'm going to go with a sleeper issue that most leaders ignore. And I finally figured this out about a decade ago that you have a culture. Even if you don't have cultural values written down, you have a culture in your organization. And about a decade ago, I began to realize that the biggest challenge in onboarding people was they didn't understand the culture. How does that show up? Because that sounds very theoretical. Let me give you a practical example. Even six months after onboarding someone, you see them doing something and you find yourself saying either to yourself or to them, no, no, that's not quite it. Or actually, can I show you that's not how we do it? And about a decade ago, I noticed I was saying that way too much with new team members. It's like, no, that's not how we do it here. And they've been on with us now for three or six months. And I realized, you know what that is? That's 100% culture. 
You have a culture, whether you realize it or not. So I did the hard work of sitting down with my team and developing cultural values. And then when I started this company, after I left the church I was at, still part of it, but not on, on staff, uh, one of the first things we did is we sat down and we wrote team values. We defined our company culture. So we have uh, values like battle mediocrity. Am I allowing what is good to stand in the way of what could be great or choose trust? This is a huge one for our team. We talk about it all the time. Am I believing the best or assuming the worst? That has so much to do about how we handle conflict. Uh, what about this? Err on the side of generosity. Am I living and leading generously? So when you're with customer service issues or uh, how you treat someone, that is basically, see, culture answers how we do things. It's not what we do. It's how we do it. Okay, so we're going to be generous in what we do. We're going to serve first. We're going to pursue health. So we encourage people to take time off. We encourage people not to be working 15 hours a day. Um, we're going to choose trust. So I'm going to believe the best. We're not going to gossip about each other. When I define those, and it will take you a little while, right? It's that whole thing, Kyla, of like a little bit of investment now is going to pay off again and again and again. Onboarding became way easy. Now, I'll get to the easier part of onboarding because uh, most people will do this, right? So you can, first of all, uh, create a system for that. So we have done a lot of video training and uh, people who are good at their jobs and have done the jobs for a while or maybe their predecessor has videoed some of the basics of the job. We also have a really good system. I teach this in Lead a Better Team, one of my online courses, uh, about how we do online productivity, how we get results. We're very clear on that. And all of that is pretty easy to impart, especially if you're organized. So we use Asana, for example. This is what we use Zoom for. This is what we don't use Zoom for. Here's when we text each other. We call it the optimal workflow system. So that's pretty easy to share with people, again, if you've captured it. And then we usually do an onboarding week. Now, I've delegated that because we're now a team of eight. I've delegated that, and I will have a check-in with the person. Um, but then we delegate that. So now we have someone on our team who's in charge of onboarding. And again, we don't have a giant team. Of course, if you're a massive corporation, you have a process for this. But for most of us who are leading smaller organizations, what do you do? Well, you just have to have a system for it. So I've delegated that at this point. However, I will check in on day one with the employee, welcome them, make it special for them. Uh, I will check in from time to time. I'll give you a very practical example. If it's a direct report, here's something I did with a new assistant, uh, Carly, who I brought on in April or May of this year, is we did a daily check-in every morning. And my goodness, did that ever help. It was just 10 minutes, quick Zoom or sometimes a phone call. And just, how's it going with you? And man, she got up to speed in no time. And she was really good at systems. Plus, we had all those systems running in the background. We had our optimal uh, workflow system set up. So she knew how to use Asana. She knew how to, you know, use Slack, et cetera. And exactly how we use them, we were able to share that. But back to where we started, having those cultural values defined that has been the biggest aha for the staff I've onboarded over the last decade. They're like, oh, that's how we do it. And if you don't get that right, that will frustrate you six months or a year down the road because you're going to say, you know what? He never quite got it. She never quite got it. They don't really fit. So take time to define your culture. Your culture is one of the biggest pieces of the puzzle that most organizations are missing. We just have seven values. Took us a few months to develop. But uh, once they're clear 
And I would say one more thing about culture. Your cultural values should be accurate and aspirational. They shouldn't be crazy like, you know, we're going to populate Mars. Okay, your company, I don't know, Kyla, maybe you are going to do that. But your company probably isn't going to do that. Okay, mine certainly isn't. Um, but those are really about just how you do what you do. And when you get those nailed, that is the secret sauce for your company. So that's how we've done it. It's a lot easier than it used to be. And you're not reinventing it every few months when you onboard somebody. Plus, it's a way of reinforcing your culture because those are accurate and aspirational. And uh, then you don't quite have it automated because onboarding is personal. But if you get all the rest of that automated, it allows you to focus on what matters most, which in my case is casting a vision for the company, making sure they understand the culture and really getting to know the new people that we're onboarding because the systems will do the rest for you. Hope that helps. Hey, if you would love to get um, some advice like this, I would love to share that with you. And you can do that by going to the Ask Me Anything About Productivity section of my podcast page. Go to kerryneuhoff.com slash podcast. By the way, we have totally redesigned kerryneuhoff.com. If you haven't been there lately, check it out. And uh, just click on the microphone, leave me a voice message, and I may coach you next. Thanks so much for listening. I really appreciate you guys. Hope this helps you thrive in life and leadership. And we will catch you next time on the podcast. You've been listening to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Join us next time for more insights on leadership, change, and personal growth to help you lead like never before.